Welcome to the latest Bristol 24-7 podcast. My name's Martin Booth. I'm the editor of Bristol 24-7. And today we've got a very special interview. Without further ado, here's Dark Cloud to tell us his amazing story. Hello, my name's Makeda Anaquad, and you loosely translated it means Dark Cloud. I asked my name giver why he called me Dark Cloud because I thought it was a bit negative. And he had a big smile on his face and he said, the dark bit is because you're a 60 scoop victim and you're taken away from Canada. So that's the dark bit. And the cloud is because I lived all over Mother Earth. I was taken away from Canada and I lived in Southeast Asia and then I lived all over Europe. So that's the cloud. The cloud is covering Mother Earth. So that's like the cloud bit. And so that's dark cloud. And then I said to him, like, it's still a little bit negative. And he goes, and he smiled and he said, yes, but when you get older, you'll have gray hair. And then that'll be the silver lining around the dark cloud. So that's why I'm called Makeda Anaquad. And loosely translated in English, it means dark cloud. So this is my name. And about myself, I'm a victim of the 60 scoop. And what the 60 scoop is is um, the Canadian government came into all the reservations across Canada and they stole all the children. They stole 150,000 children and they put us in residential schools. Me and my two sisters were taken away from my parents when I was two. And what they do, if you have siblings, brothers and sisters, they also put you as far apart from each other as, as possible, within distance. So I was adopted by a British family. My other sister was adopted by a French-Canadian family. And my other sister was adopted by a German-Canadian family, all of them living in Canada. Unfortunately, my, my younger sister, at the age of nine, she died in a house fire with her adopted family. And my other sister, was adopted by a German family and she's on the run and nobody knows where she is. So that's what happened to me. And at the age of five, when I was adopted, my British dad was working for a British Canadian company, telecommunication company, and then he got a big contract for Southeast Asia. So I was taken away from Canada and I was put in, um, we moved to Singapore and the Philippines. And then, so I grew up in Singapore and the Philippines. And then at a very young age, I started drinking just as kids do around the age of nine, but then it became problematic. And I became a full-blown alcoholic around the age of 11 and 12. And um, so I had a lot of issues with alcohol and schooling. So my father decided to homeschool me with tutors. And if, unfortunately, because Southeast Asia is a good place to bribe for bribing people, I bribed my tutor for drugs and alcohol, and I carried on drinking. So this is part of what happened to me. And then eventually when I was 15 or 16, my, my um, father... Um, came back to England, so we moved to England. And then I overheard my parents saying that we're going to send Dark Cloud to a, re uh, a rehab in Switzerland. And I was, I was like, no, I'm not going to a rehab. 
So I ran away from home when I was 16 in a town called Maidenhead, just outside of Windsor. I made my way to London and I met other homeless people and they showed me the ropes of street life and everything and they showed me how to cross the channel by being a driver's mate for the fruit and vegetable wholesalers market. So I got a job with the wholesalers and managed to be a driver's mate to get myself across the channel. Once I was across the channel, I started hitchhiking from Calais, south of Europe, and I ended up in Croatia, in the south of Croatia. But unfortunately, the Bosnian and Serbian war was just ending, so there was a, um, it was unsafe, basically, for me to be there. And then I started hitchhiking back up north of Europe. And then I, um, in North, in, I ended up in North Italy, and I managed to go, um, I came across a reggae festival and I managed to get work with them, a company called Rotterdam, reggae um, company. And I ended up doing seasonal work with them for 11 years. And in the off seasons, me and a couple of people, we put our money together and we bought some hippie vans. So in the off seasons, we traveled around all of Europe, opening up hippie communities. And unfortunately, because of my alcoholism, it took a toll on my health, not, on, not only physically, but also mentally. So I needed medical, medical help. So I managed to get back to England, and um, I, went to, I went to my, my, where my family used to live, and I knocked on their door, and to my surprise, and to the lady who opened the door, were like, who are you? And I was like, well, who are you? I used to live in this house. And she said, are you Dark Cloud? And I said, yes, I am. And she says, I have a letter for you. And the letter basically said, "If you, um, me and Josephine, my mom, have retired and we immigrated back to Canada. If you are who you are, you know where your relatives live, um, go to them and get in, in contact with you. And so I managed to do this, and I managed to go to my uncle and my aunt's house. And as, although I was living on the streets at that time, I had a friend, a German friend, who was an au pair. So I, I said to the German au pair, like, can you give them your phone number to my uncle and my aunt so my British dad can get in touch with you? So that happened, and I, I was living on the streets, begging, and started selling the big issue and just living on the streets. And then the German girl came and said, your father called me and would like to meet you in a pub. So we met in a pub. It was very awkward, as at this time I was around 31, 32, and I didn't know what to say. My father didn't know what to say. And basically, my father gave me my adoption papers, my British um, passport, my Canadian passport, and quite a bit of money. Unfortunately, with this money, I went back to Europe and I just repeated drinking and, you know, being an alcoholic and just traveling around. And again, I needed medical attention. So I came back to England and I ended up back on the streets. And with the help of the outreach workers, they put me in multiple um, treatment centers and I kept relapsing. And they suggested I was relapsing because I kept going back to my drinking friends. 
so they suggested that I move out of London and try a treatment centre in, in the West Country. So I listened to them and I went to Western Supermare to do a, a treatment centre um, for seven months. I finished the treatment centre after seven months, but because I was bullshitting and lying my way through the treatment centre, they gave me an ultimatum. Either I leave the treatment centre straight away, or I do an extension of four more months. And I was really adamant that I needed help, and I, w I knew that I wanted to stop drinking. So I stopped, um, I did the four months, and then they said that you, need, you can do aftercare. And aftercare is where they put people who finished the treatment center into a place called the dry house. So I went into it, I found a dry house in Bristol, and this is how I ended up in Bristol. And while I was in the dry house, I went back to Bristol College to get my grades up to go to university. I managed to do my get my grades up, and I did an open university call in neuro-linguistic programming. But unfortunately, I didn't do anything with my certificate. And I managed to meet some other people. And we opened up a market stall in St. Nick's Market. And I started selling baby hippie clothes. And then, along with selling baby hippie clothes, I didn't relapse on alcohol, but I started smoking a lot of weed and started smoking a lot of hash. And I was spending too much money on this. So I, I decided to start dealing. So I started, decided to deal hash as a cover of the market stall. But unfortunately, somebody grasped me up to the police and my house got raided. And then I ended up in Horfield Prison for only a month on remand. And then I, end, I, um, I was sentenced to six, months, six years with four years suspended sentence and 250 hour community service. I was working on the SS Great Britain in the wood shop. The community service was funny because fortunately or unfortunately, I used to sell to all the people working on the SS Great Britain, so they knew me. So basically, they kind of cut my hours officially or unofficially, so I didn't have to finish the whole complete 250 hours. I did half of it, half of the hours, and at that time I had a girlfriend from Cyprus and she was studying neuroscience, um, a biochemistry student. By this time she finished her PhD and managed to get a job in Germany so I decided to move to Germany. So I moved to Germany after I finished my community service and this is in 2009 and I moved to Germany. I lived in Germany for four years and I sorted myself out I worked in the university as a mentor for students who were um, having depression, drug and alcohol problems, so I had a good job. And then, unfortunately, I found out I had cancer in my intestines, and my girlfriend couldn't deal with this, so we separated naturally, and I really needed medical help. So I came back to England, to Bristol, and I... I was in Bristol for five days and then I went straight into hospital for six months until they sorted out my tumors in my intestines. And when they were looking inside of my intestines, they found two ulcers due to my alcoholism. So 
they cut out most of my tumors, but they had to leave one in because it was too close to my ulcer. And um, the tumor's benign now, but can reoccur at any moment. And my ulcer keeps exploding randomly, um, just unexpectedly. So that's gonna be a lifelong issue, which I'm kind of used to now. So that's what happened then. And then after the, after this, I really didn't know what to do with myself. I didn't know where I wanted to live or anything. So I decided to um, join an agency. And I joined an agency and they placed me with Great Western Railway. And while I was working for Great Western Railway, there was a production team doing a documentary about the British Rail. And the cameraman approached me and he came up to me and goes, excuse me, are you a First Nation person? I said, yeah, I am. And he goes, are you from Canada? And I said, yes, I am. And he, he goes, um, I'd, I was wondering, are you a victim of the 60 scoop? And I was like, how the fuck do you know all of this? And he goes, oh, I, I lived with your people for three years doing a documentary about your people. And I'm not lying, but I'm literally going back there in five days. And he asked me, do you mind if I email some of my friends on the reserve that I found a 60 scoop victim? And I was like, yeah, of course, you can do this. And the following day, he came up to me and he said to me, they have one message for you. And I was like, okay, what is this? And he said, get his ass back here as soon as possible. And he's, he said, I can pay for your ticket if you want, and you can come with me. And I said, that's okay, I have enough savings, but yes, I would like to come with you. I was really happy about this, and I told him that um, I haven't been back to Canada since I was seven, and now I'm, at that time, this is four years ago, and I was um, just turning 50. So from the age of seven, I've never been back to Canada, and this is the first time I'm going back to Canada at the age of 50. We didn't go to my reservation. We went to um, the reservation that he lived on for three years, which is in North Bay, about 18 hour drive from Toronto. And while I was in the reservation, they organized for me to have a ceremony with an elder. And when I attended the ceremony, my elder presented me with a second generation eagle feather an uh, elder woman made a sacred um, beating drum for me and also gave me a talking ceremonial pipe and showed me the proper ways how to use this. And at this point was when I felt I really had true, I really understood the true meaning of belonging. And it was so emotional and I was so excited and happy. And that was my first connection with the First Nation people. So, that, that was my first encounter. And then I came back to England after 10 days, deciding what I was gonna do next, plan my next plan of life. And while I came back, I joined an agency, and this time I asked them if I could do night work, and they put me in a job in Waitrose, restocking the shelves in the evening. And on the way to work, I bumped into an old friend of mine, who I'd known for on and off for about 10 years, and he knew that I was going back to Canada for the first time. So I had time to have a drink and a coffee with him, and I explained to him about the ceremony, about my reunion of meeting my own people and my heritage, 
and it was very emotional. We both were crying, but I had to go to work. So I went to work, finished work, and he knows where I live, and I was walking home, and then all of a sudden, I saw on the side of a house a great big mural of me. I was like, where the fuck did that come from? I was only back in Bristol for three days. So I called my friend Damo, and unbeknown to me, well, I knew, but I kind of forget because he was my friend, that he's one of the second, like the second best graffiti artists in Bristol. And um, so I called him at 7.30 in the morning. He came over to meet me with a ladder, some white paint and a roller. And I asked him, I said, what are you doing? And he said, I'm so sorry, DC. Like, I got very emotional after you told me your story. And I went to my friend's house and I know the man in the house, he's a Rasta man. And I told him your story, and the Rasta man put this man on my house. He's a legend. So that's how the mural of me got put up in St. Paul's. And he asked me if there's anything I could do with it. And I asked him to put the words, can you um, talk and share? Because by nature, I am a storyteller. So he put the words talk and share on it. And then he asked me, is there any other problems with it? And I said uh, I said to him, I'm not being funny, but a lot of people in Bristol know me or know of me, and it kind of looks like a mural of me that I'm dead. <laughs> and we had a great big laugh about this, and he was like, I'm so happy you said this, DC, because when me and my friends were mating the mural, uh, loads of people stopped in their cars and were like, holy shit, that's DC, is he dead? Well, I'm not dead, am I? So here I am. So that's how the mural got put up, which I was very honored about. And then later in the month, this boy approached me and he said that he saw my mural and he got in touch with Damo. And Damo said, this guy has a story to tell. He's a really nice guy. He's always in Cafe Kino. Just approach him and like have a conversation with him. So this 19-year-old student came up to me. He works for Screenology. And he said, my tutor gave me a project of something new and something old of Bristol. And I decided to do the old of the bombings of Bristol and the new of street art in Bristol. And I came across your mural and you might have a story for me. So I told him the story about the 60s scoop and the genocide of First Nation people. And he was so taken back, he asked me if he could make a documentary about him. And I immediately said no. And he was, he was really disappointed and asked me why. And I told him, like, all my life I've been asked to do documentaries by corporations. And I really did not want to do a documentary with the corporations because they just wanted to make money out of me. And he explained to me that he was, this was a school project. I said, listen, just meet me in one or two days and I'll tell you what I think about it. So I met him the day later. He approached me. He did so much research, I was really taken back. And he was telling me things I didn't even know about my people. And I was very taken back. Also on top of this, he, he said, here's my um, tutor's home phone number. Here's my tutor's work and personal phone number and email. and." I didn't call him because I could see that he was very enthusiastic. And I said, just be honest with me. I just want to know how much money you're making. And he said, make money. I'm going to lose money. And he showed me his spreadsheet and goes, listen, I have to rent all this equi equipment 
just to make this documentary. And because he was 19 and it was an independent school to teach students how to make movies, I said yes to him. And this is how the documentary that was made of me, which is out on YouTube now. So, yeah, that's how it's kind of followed up. Yeah. What an incredible story. Dark Cloud there, chatting with Martin Booth, editor here at Bristol 24-7. Now, if you want to watch Dark Cloud, the 60s Scoop Survivor documentary, you can head to YouTube or go to cloudbristol.com. Now, for more Bristol stories, you can head to our website, bristol247.com. And, of course, you can sign up and become a member and get all of those wonderful Bristol perks. If you fancy a little treat this week, it's only £5 a month to support independent journalism here in Bristol. And yes, in return, you'll get free beer, amongst other things, which can't be bad, can it? From all of us here on the Behind the Headlines podcast, we'll catch you next time.